This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And now, cancers among children are rare, but leukemia is among one of the most commonly diagnosed forms of cancer among children. Now, while it is... Uh, while it can be a devastating diagnosis for the family, with early diagnosis and effective treatment, children diagnosed with childhood leukemia have a good outlook. So here to tell us more about that today are Dr. Chan Li Li, a consultant pediatric hemato-oncologist at Subang Jaya Medical Center, and Ethan Ryan, a cancer survivor himself. Thank you to both of you for joining me in the studio today. Thank you for inviting us, Wen. Same. Glad to have both of you on, to have both your insights on. Um, maybe I'll start with you, Dr. Chan. You know, um, I mentioned that childhood cancers are rare. Um, we don't hear about them that often, but maybe could you elaborate a bit more on that? Just how common are cancers among children and where does leukemia stand um, among what you see here in Malaysia? You are right. Cancers on a whole are rare. Overall, in developed countries, the data is uh, more accurate. So we would expect about 200 per million children under 18 to 20 years old. So that category will say children. So about 200 per million. Data in Malaysia, not so accurate. Mm. If we say generally, childhood cancers will be 3 to 5% of all cancers in any country. So if in Malaysia, we expect anything between 25,000 to 35,000 per annum of cancers, mm -hmm. newly diagnosed cancers, then you can estimate that childhood cancers would be anything between 1,200 to 1,700 new cases per annum. Now, out of all these cancers, acute leukemia is by far the most common. Up mm -hmm. to 35% of all cancers in childhood mm -hmm. will be acute leukemias. And under the acute leukemia group, 75% of them will be your most common cancer, which is acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Then, then you know, less common cancers. Mm. Mm. Um, and before I ask you more about that, I'll turn to you, Ethan. Maybe you could um, introduce yourself, um, tell us a bit about how old you are right now and um, a bit about your cancer diagnosis. Um, hi, I'm Ethan Ryan and I am 11 years old. Uh, I was born on 2012 and I was diagnosed with cancer when I was two and a half years old. Mm. Uh, my cancer was acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm. So what exactly is acute lymphoblastic leukemia, Dr. Chan? You know, how does it affect um, the body when, when someone like Ethan, for example, is diagnosed with it? So acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL for short, is a cancer involving the lymphoblastic lymphoid cell lines uh, or the white blood cell lines. So mm. sometimes we tell the, the patients it's a type of cancer involving your white blood cells. So uh, that's what uh, ALL is. What happens is that this cancer grows kind of, you know, overwhelms the, the normal uh, cells in the bone marrow. And so you have a lack of normal cells. And so the leukemia can present because of a lack of normal red cells, a lack of normal white cells, a lack of the platelets. So those are the, 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 the predominant cells produced by our bone marrow. So then the patient will present accordingly, either with being pale, have intermittent fevers because they have not enough normal white blood cells or they have bruising uh, because they do not have enough platelets. So those are the ways, you know, uh, 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 they can present with uh, acute leukemia. Mm. 
Mm. Um, if I could get you to elaborate a bit more on that, Dr. Chan, you know, usually patients, uh, are patients usually diagnosed when they are very young? Like like Ethan said, you know, he was only two plus two years half. old. Actually, acute leukemia can occur in any age group from infants until, as you know, the very elderly. Mm. But the majority of acute leukemias indeed happen in childhood and the adolescent mm-hmm. age group. So, the most common age group is actually between two to five years old. Mm. You know, so... Um, you know, any age group basically. Mm. Mm. So when they're two to five, I assume the symptoms, you know, you, usually with other um, diseases, you get the patient telling you what their symptoms, right? But in this case, the patients can't really tell you what they're experiencing. So what do parents usually notice when they bring in their child? From very early, you know, presenting very early to those presenting late, mm. as I was telling you, if you have a lack of red blood cells, white blood cells, normal white blood cells and platelets, then for the, if the parents might notice the child getting paler and paler. For, mm. So that's one one. Or if they have a, a lack of normal white blood cells, then what they can come with is intermittent fevers. And that's where it's not easy to expect to pick it up early. Because fever, you know, it, recurrent infections is so common in children. We, mm. A child is expected to have anything between two to five infections per annum anyway, you know, or mm. even more. So they will have fevers. But if the fevers keep on recurring that will that will that should be a, you know that that should be ringing bells la. so intermittent fevers that do not go away and keep recovering will be one way or they have a severe infection because the normal white blood cells are so low that you mm. know that the immune system is already disordered it can't function and, as it correct, should be right correct and then of course bruising or what we call little red dots because of bleeding under the skin happening i mean there are other differential diagnoses but that would be one thing that we will be on the lookout for when they when they have acute leukemia mm. 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 ethan i know you're probably too young to remember but um, um, I guess from what your mom has perhaps told you, you know, um, do you know what prompted her to take you into the doctor? Um, I had leg pain that comes and goes, and then I think I started to become a bit pale, just like how Doctor Chan said. Mm-hmm. And so my mom decided to bring me to the doctor. Mm-hmm. Do you know how long it took before you were diagnosed? Mm, I don't really know, because <laughs> mm. I was very young that time. Mm, mm. Um, what causes ALL, Dr. Chan, do we know? Short answer is we don't, we don't have a direct causation as such, mm. but we, we, there are some clues, like for example, if you're exposed to high radiation, so the Hiroshima you know, radiation and the, acute, uh, the, the sudden rise in acute leukemias in the Japanese population, so there is a direct uh, causation. There are also some genetic conditions which predispose patients to acute leukemia. So, for mm. example, people with Down syndrome, people with conditions called ataxia, telangiectasia, Bloom syndrome, these people have a higher risk of running leukemias. But no other kind of, like, we can't say, oh, you know, this, the, eat this thing, the wrong foods or do the wrong, the wrong activity, mm. you're going to get leukemia. Even unusual infections or so, we are not so sure about acute leukemia. You know, mm. no direct causation as, as far as we can tell. Mm. It's not exactly something like lung cancer, for example, yeah, And right? association with smoking. smoking yeah. Yeah. Not exactly. Yeah. Nothing mm. you can really pinpoint on. Mm. So you spoke about um, you know, looking at the blood cells earlier, Dr. Chan. Is that how you diagnose when, when someone, when a child, for example, comes in and, and you suspect um, that they have leukemia? 
Yes, I mean, of course, you mustn't miss out the story. So taking a good story, the symptoms should already start to give you clues already. Like I told mm. you. From the parents, c- correct? Correct. You know, fevers that keep on coming, you know, and then you examine nothing you can really pinpoint on, you know, or bleeding, or why did the patient suddenly get pale? But yes, looking at the blood picture, the full blood count, the, the, the easiest blood test, so to say, uh, will give us some clues. If the 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 anemia is too obvious, I mean, in in Malaysia, we we don't expect people to be so poor that they you know that they they become extremely anemic. So if it is extreme anemia, then we already start to 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 be worried. So looking at the full blood count will give us a some idea. Some patients, by the time they present, mm-hmm. you can even see the leukemic cells among the white blood cells in their blood film. Then that becomes very obvious. Mm. But not everybody will be that easy, mm. you know. So then the only way to diagnose is to do something more invasive, which is to look at the bone marrow uh, itself. So that needs, uh, you know, to, for us to actually do a bone marrow aspiration to get to confirm the diagnosis. How common is um, early? How often are children diagnosed at an early stage when it comes to childhood leukemia? Is is late diagnosis a concern usually? I would say not too bad. Like most mm. times they come, they are all right. When we say late, basically you are worried that the the leukemic population has become so high that they they give more complications. Mm-hmm. So those are, I would say, the minority. The majority, they are still fairly stable and not too bad. Mm. Mm. How would you describe awareness, Dr. Chan, about childhood leukemia? Because it's not something that's completely alien to a lot of people, but but I feel like that's also more, it, it depends on whether you, you uh, that's something you, you actually pay attention to or not, right? Is that something that the Malaysian population parents are aware of? Because, you, you, I'm, you know, I'm in Kuala Lumpur, so mm-hmm. we are very urbanised. Mm-hmm. So I would say that in urban centres, parents nowadays, and children are so precious, parents will take their children to the doctors and the doctors will will be the first line, you know, the general mm-hmm. practitioners will be the first line to start worrying. Mm-hmm. So and... Very often, the general practitioners are the ones that do the initial blood count. Mm. And that's when, you know, they say, oh, something is wrong. You need to get get to hospital. So in that sense, I would say that, you know, they are reaching. If you say, you know, the, the really poor and the uh, rural areas, possibly that will take longer for them to get diagnosed. But on a whole, I think the awareness... That something is not right, they may they may not think about leukemia, but something is not right will will prompt them to t- go to GP. GP will mm. very often pick up the clues, do a blood count, and the GP themselves will be worried and send them on to hospitals. Mm. Mm. All right, um, we'll go for a quick break now, and then we'll continue this discussion when we come back on the show with me today. Our consultant, pediatric hematologist oncologist Dr. Chan Lee Lee from Subang Jaya Medical Center, and joining us as well is Ethan Ryan. He's a leukemia cancer survivor. We're talking about um, surviving childhood leukemia and the importance of um, early diagnosis and picking up early. And we'll dive more into the treatment landscape um, for leukemia after we come back from this quick break. So keep it here on Health & Living, BFM 89.9. 
Welcome back to Health and Living with me, Lim Su. And joining me on the show today are consultant pediatric hemato oncologist Dr. Chan Li Lee from Subang Jaya Medical Center. She's also joined by Ethan Ryan. He's a leukemia cancer survivor. We are talking about um, childhood leukemia today, or in particular, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which is um, which was what Ethan had. And so, before the break, Dr. Chan was giving a bit, us a bit of a one-on-one on what it is. Um, we heard a bit about Ethan's story and how he was diagnosed when he was about two and a half. He's 11 now, um, doing very well. Um, and I'll get him to share a bit more about his story um, in a bit. But just very quickly, Dr. Chan, you know, cancer in general is not an easy diagnosis for a lot of people to accept, let alone when you're talking about it um, being diagnosed in a child. How do you handle that conversation with parents? You know, what? how do you walk them through it? How do you explain to them what needs to be done? For certain, uh, it's not easy to break to a parent that, uh, you know, that your, your child has a type of cancer. Mm. But I always try to give them the comfort by telling them that ALL is one of the best cancers to get, if anything, you know, because of such a good, uh, good uh, cure rate. Mm. So when you break the diagnosis, I try to tell them that this is a very curable cancer. Mm. This uh, is a cancer who has, which has a very high uh, cure rate and hope that, you know, I suppose as a doctor, we probably, you know, we're so keen on getting on with it and getting the child into a stable and good condition. We really forget, sometimes, you know, we, 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 we lose track of the fact that the parents are probably so shell-shocked to, to mm. get the diagnosis in, in at the beginning. So that's what I, I feel like. I want to get the parents to take comfort that this is a disease that is so treatable and really such good cure rates. So we feel comfortable, you know, in the relaying. Not like different other cancers where you already know that, oh, cure rates not so good. That's really much more difficult to, to, to break, the, break the news. Mm-hmm. Ethan, um, what can you tell us about, what can you tell me about the treatment that you were put on? Uh, I was put on chemotherapy. It's a kind of site. So I forgot what's the whatever thing because I don't remember. It's pretty scary, and mm. when when you put it inside your body, it like takes away all the um, cells. But then, if you take care of your body properly, if you don't like go to like very uh, places with a lot of viruses or very um or you or it, because when you get sick, mm-hmm. yeah, you don't have no immune system for you to fight for. So the can- the chemotherapy will actually just uh, take away all. So you have to have a con- uh, consistent amount of people like giving you platelets maybe, I think, if I'm not wrong. Hmm. How long were you on chemotherapy for? I was on chemotherapy for, I think, two to three years. Hmm. Do you remember anything from that time? I know you were quite young then. Um, I remember where... The daycare, the daycare tre- treatment. I had to go inside sometimes, and then um, for like some, for the probably the chemotherapy treatment. And somehow I remember the feeling of being sedated, mm. which is very. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why, but uh, I also remembered all my doctors. Like, yeah. Mm. Mm. How are you doing now? Uh, I'm doing very great. I, I'm healthy. I still I can I can run unlike last time I used to have some I couldn't walk for about three months mm. and I had to relearn how to walk again. Mm. Was that a side effect of the the treatment that you were on? 
um, side effects. I not when I was on treatment. Of course, there's not normal nausea and mm. a loss of appetite. But then there's also one uh, where I couldn't walk. That's mm. the main one. I couldn't walk for like three months, like I said just now. Mm. Doctor Chan. From your perspective, what does the treatment landscape for ALL look like? Because you said the prognosis is really good. Mm. Uh, getting better all the time. Mm. If you look at the survival curves of every country from 50 years ago to now, it's just improving, improving all the time. So, what one thing about treating acute lymphoblastic leukemia, treatment is protracted. So, yes, they all end up being on chemotherapy for two and a two and a quarter years like in total so from start to timeline end. is fairly correct, standard. Correct, yeah. Two two and a quarter. Some of them with a little bit more complications, maybe two and a half total, you know. So it's protracted, plenty of uh, frequent visits and uh, quite a lot of chemotherapy to you know to, to, to get on board all the time. So but in the end, like I say, good outcome for the majority of patients. Mm. Uh, are side effects like what Ethan mentioned common? For example, he shared how his nerves were affected, he had to relearn how to walk. Is that something common that you see? Because we use so many different uh, agents, chemotherapeutic agents, then yes, side effects are expected. Between mm. the expected common side effects, of course, everybody will have some degree of side effects. So nausea, vomiting for sure, mm. loss of hair for sure, uh, low blood counts. And during that time, they might end up having to be hospitalized because of uh, worry about a, a, a severe infection. So they come in for antibiotics until we know that there's no obvious infections and their, count, their blood counts recover. So those are known common side effects. Mm. But the less common ones, uh, from what I hear from Ethan, he probably had this um, um, it might be a neuropathy, mm-hmm. a, a side effects of one of the drugs that we use called vincristine. It might be myopathy from the steroids that are part of the armamentarium to treat leukemia. So when they become pretty bad, like you say, they, they become so limp that they don't walk. So because they're on steroids initially for up to five weeks, you see, wow. and pretty high doses. Mm. So, you know, during that time, they're just weak, you know. Mm. The, we we keep on encouraging the parents to say, don't forget to to make them do the normal activity. You know, don't don't treat them like sick individuals and do everything for them. We want them to ex to keep exercising, to keep moving, so that the muscle tone is maintained as much as possible. So those are commoner, and then of, uh, uh, so that's a, a a known side effect, uh, So, but there are plenty other side effects which, thankfully, are rare, but. When it does occur, then of course, you know, it's a major issue with the patients Mm. because they can have seizures from complications of thrombosis. They can have high white count. And when that happens, sometimes we have a condition we call tumor lysis, which Mm -hmm. can affect your kidneys. So a lot more, uh, they can get uh, acute pancreatitis from a side effect again of another uh, chemo agent we use. So potentially there can be serious side effects, but on the whole, those are rare. Mm. Considering the age of patients, Dr. Chan, you know, do you rely more on parents picking up on these signs as well? 
we rely mainly on ourselves because we see them so often. You know, for the mm. first few months, we are seeing them very frequently. When we, uh, what I mean is, twice a week mm. at least. So you then can later, monitor, maybe so you once as a week. The Correct. Can so every time we see them, we are asking them all these things. Are you getting this, 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 this? Of course, we also rely on parents to tell mm. uh, tell us. Some are very good. They immediately report. You know, just worried that some parents they are so busy with other things. We have to look and. You know, be on the lookout ourselves like, to make sure everything is okay. Mm, mm, all right. Um, when do you consider what what does remission mean in the context of um childhood leukemia? Because like in Ethan's case, right, he said he's doing great now. He was diagnosed at two and a half. He went through treatment for about two to three years. Um, so it's been quite a while since then. Mm. What does remission mean? Well, now remission at different types of remission. Mm. Initially, when we start treatment, we look for morphological remission. That means with the eye of the microscope, we, we don't see, we, we see less than 5% uh, leukemic cells. That's already called morphological remission. Then you can have, nowadays we are talking about molecular remission, which means that we're actually looking more closely at molecular levels, at DNA levels, uh, DNA methods to, to identify the leukemic cells. So, so so those are more accurate clinical ways. Of course, the simplest one is to say the patient is in clinical remission. What does that mean? That means all the symptoms of at presentation are gone. Mm. When we examine them, the enlarged lymph nodes, the big liver, the big spleen, all gone. Those are just initial clinical remission, but that's early days. When By the time they finish three and a half, two and a half years of treatment, they should be in molecular remission, you know. So then... Usually, we say that if they are, if they within five years from time of diagnosis or so, and they are still in remission, we actually nowadays call them cured already. You know, hmm. Ethan, considering you spent you spent a lot of your very early childhood in hospitals, I guess what do you remember of your childhood from then? You know, and did it affect your childhood? You think? My mom actually um, brought me for travels a bit mm. and she let me swim a bit. And uh, she made, she uh, tried, she did, she tried to help me um, not miss out everything mm. in my childhood. Mm. So um, I, I tried to have uh, nice times and yeah, my mom tried to make it positive, uh, posit- make the treatment positive for me. I saw in another interview that you did, Ethan, that um, you know, you said your mom kept photos and journals of, of your days during treatment. I guess thinking back and looking back at that time, you know, how do you think it affected your mom when you had to go through that, when your mom also had to go through that? My mom was very brave. She marched off every all the bad stuff for me so I could have a more of a positive treatment journey. And she um she as I as I said she and then also for um when you get cancer all the whole family is affected mm-hmm. and because of that my my mom has to my mom's also a single mother she has to um clean the house uh cook take care of my brother my mother my grandmother mm-hmm. and work so we so for money mm-hmm. so. It's very tiring for her. And I also wonder how my mom could do all this uh, <laughs> stuff in this one... Super, super yeah, mom. Super mom, yeah. Mm. 
from your perspective, Dr. Chan, what do you see in terms of the impact, especially the emotional and mental health impact on the family and the caregiver? Because they they are so involved in this, right? I think, I mean, we cannot quantify. Every mm. family is different, but obviously the impact is great, especially at diagnosis. So you try to be there to kind of like soften the impact. I don't think you can really do that much because... They are new. They also do not know what is going to happen down the road, you know, mm. until they've travelled that road. And then, you know, you can tell them, you, 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 will, you know, you cannot 100% say you will get cured, like, you know, but you try to give them all the positive, uh, you know, feedback as much as possible. The family, the whole family is uh, affected, just as Ethan says, because we need the the carer to be bringing the child into hospital free for frequent uh, tre- uh, visits f- for the treatment. Then, of course, the, the the immediate families will want to help, you know, mm. all sorts of ideas about what should be fed to the child, whether there are big battles or not. <laughs> Very often, probably there are, you know, mm-hmm. because everybody thinks have their own ways of thinking. We on our side will say, you know, don't have pantang, you know, don't worry. Make sure the child eats well, have a good enough high-protein diet. But, you know, every ethnic group in our country I think have their own food beliefs so <laughs> I always think on the whole they will do what they want to do like mm. we just try to advise as much as possible so definitely there will be an impact you know but we hope that as you know within the weeks and the months as they get treatment they are also exposed to other families who who well, who have travelled a longer distance, you know, in that the peer support, correct, right? correct, and that helps a lot, I think. So the fact that they have spoken to other pet families and then they give each other positive feedback, so I think that's important as well. Mm. What kind of long term follow up would a child need even after they've reached that remission stage? Immediately after completion of treatment, we try to see them on a regular basis for the first year, monthly maybe. Then after that, second, third year, two to three monthly. Then the fourth year and fifth year, maybe six months and so like mm. that. So after five years, very often I tell the parents, congratulations, your child can be called cured of the leukemia. So I won't be so strict. But very often, you know, the bond is there. They'll say, no, 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 we'll still come and see you <laughs> once a year, you know, that sort of thing. Just... I think they just need the reassurance. Mm. So that's the kind of follow-up we, we kind of keep with the, pa- pa- the patients. Mm. Ethan, how often do you still go and see a doctor now? Um, probably once or twice a month. Uh, a month? Once or twice a year, sorry. <laughs> and then I, uh, I normally visit when my mom wants to donate blood. Mm. What do you, how involved are you in these visits? Sometimes I will, I don't know, but I think sometimes I go and poke my finger. I think that one was already passed for a long time already. Mm. And I would also just um, see my doctor to say hi. Mm. And yeah. Mm. That's that bond that you were talking about, right, Dr. Chan? Yes. Mm. Mm. And I want to talk a bit about your specialization also, Dr. Chan, because you're a consultant pediatric hemato-oncologist. Um, even if we just look at oncologists in general, it's been brought up again and again. We don't have enough across the Malaysian healthcare system, both in public and private, um, let alone someone who specializes in the pediatric aspects. What difference does it make to have access to a regular oncologist versus a pediatric oncologist when treating childhood leukemia? 
the oncologist will not treat uh, leukemia, so it will be the adult physician, hematologist, special, the, the, the mm. specialist will be the adult hematologist that will treat the leukemias. So, as you said, not every state in Malaysia has a, a pediatric hemato-oncologist. So, if they really cannot travel to a, the closest centre with a hemato-oncologist and they rely on an adult hematologist, let's say, mm. of course it's not so good because the field is, cha- is you know rapidly progressing all the time. So, they, the adult hematologist do not see as 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 often the leukemics as the we do mm. so they may they may not have the latest uh, regimens to treat the patient with but of course they do have the basics they know you know what are the side effects what are the things to look out for and things that things like that malaysia being a small country most patients should be able to reach the type of doctor that they need like, on a whole, you know. But, of course, not as good as actually seeing a pediatric hemato-oncologist. Uh, hemato mm. mm. What are the specific concerns or, I guess, factors that are important to look out for, I guess, when you're treating cancer, like leukemia in a child versus an adult? What are the differences, the, the nuances that needs to be looked at? We pediatricians always say that children are not mini-adults mm. because the Number one, the range of different cancers that you see in childhood are completely different from mm-hmm. adults. The way they respond to chemotherapy, I must say, for leukemics is a lot better than adults. Really, we mm. we you know so in that sense, that's reassuring. Side effects will be different because they are growing children. So we are always concerned about effects on their brain. We are always concerned about whether it's going to affect their puberty in the long run, you know, we're always concerned that these are young people who are expected to live the next 70, 80 years. So we must look after their kidneys, we must look after their heart especially well. So we are always on the lookout to see how can I reduce the chemotherapeutic agents that have potential side effects on these organs, the heart and the kidneys and things like that. You know? mm. So those those are the different things that to look out for. And then as we follow them up, as I say, you want to look and make sure that the development is normal, getting puberty is normal, mm. their hearts and the kidneys are, provi- pro- pro- I mean, are protected. And then the other fear about getting what we call second cancers, People who are exposed to chemotherapy always run the risk of getting second cancers in future. So we are also on the lookout for those things. Mm. I guess to round up our discussion, I want to get some final closing takeaway messages from both of you. Um, maybe for you first, Dr. Chan, you know, what kind of awareness would you like to see, especially among parents with regards to um, childhood leukemia? When your child has unusual symptoms, too pale. Very often, it will be people around telling you that fevers that come too, you know, too frequently, bruises, those are all red flags already. You should quickly take them to a doctor, get a blood count done, mm. you know. And do not be afraid of the diagnosis because as I was saying, there the treat there is treatment and the cure rate is getting better and better and so high cure rates nowadays for acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Mm. Ethan, what message would you like to send to um, other kids who may be in the same position as you as well, um, who are, you know, dealing with a cancer diagnosis? Don't let cancer define what you can or cannot do. That's all. All right. Thank you both so much for joining me today. 
Thank you, Sue. Thank you, Sue. I've been speaking to consultant pediatric hemato oncologist from Subanjaya Medical Center, Dr. Chandi Lee and Ethan Ryan, a leukemia cancer survivor. And we've been talking about childhood leukemia um, and in particular, acute lymphoblastic leukemia. I'm Lim Suen and this has been Health and Living, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.